0: To John chapter four, verse 25. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm Brad McCoy and I approve of that message, Olga. This morning we come to John four in our life of Christ A through Z series. Jive talking at Jacob's well. And we're going to see the overall message here that no one is so bad He or she cannot be saved by God's grace based on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ received by faith, active, receptive trust in Christ alone. Now, this chapter has 42 verses, but the heart of the matter in many ways is found in verses 25 and 26. So let's read those as we get started this morning. And I'm looking at the New American Standard Bible. The woman, the woman at the well, we don't even know her name. You'll meet her in heaven," though," said to him the Lord Jesus Christ. "I know that Messiah is coming. I know the Anointed One of God, who will be a lamb and a lion, uh, the Savior and the Sovereign. I know the Messiah is coming." And then John tells you that's uh, Aramaic for Christ, uh, that title. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us," Jesus said to her. I who speak to you am he. You're talking to the Messiah. The exclusive issue and the exclusive issuer of eternal life. Uh, let's pray that we'll be teachable to God's word. You know, worship means to ascribe worth, right? That's what worship is, to ascribe worth. And uh, we don't just worship by singing songs, as important as that is. Uh, we worship by studying the word. We worship by praying. We worship by fellowshipping. Right? We're ascribing word to God by esteeming our fellow believers or by uh, reverencing His word and, and receiving it as truth. So this is just as much worship as singing and vice versa. So let's pray for, uh, teachability and for, as is our custom and we're happy to do it, our troops, are peace officers, firefighters, and, uh, but West, West lead us in prayer in that direction, would you? Thank you. Uh, you know, we like to do an abstract thought warmer-upper before we dive into the word. Some kind of uh slightly comedic attempt to, you know, kind of get the juices flowing. And school's starting. Some people have already started school. Cameron University starts, um, for me, this Tuesday at 8 o'clock. Angel starts her uh, uh, official uh, nursing curriculum uh, this week. Um, Dustin's right back in the old classroom. He did the school off through the summer and right back at it. So, uh, I want to celebrate students this morning, especially middle school and high school. So I guess I'm looking at uh, the ward boys there, especially Sydney over there, some others. But uh, I did some in-depth internet research, unless that's an oxymoron this week, looking for, um, jokes about or for teens. And I found thousands. I found thousands and thousands of jokes, but I only understood three of them, so we're gonna we're gonna uh we're gonna do three jokes for or about teams. Uh where would you learn how to make ice cream at Sunday school? S-U-N-D-A-E, for those of you listening on the World Wide Web, Sunday School. What did the student say when his teacher asked him to use geometry? In a sentence, a little acorn grew and grew until it finally awoke one day and said, Gee, I'm a tree. <laughs> Shelby, can you believe that? That's not Did he get credit for that? How many teens does it take to change the toilet roll? We don't know. It never happens. <laughs> uh, life of Christ A through Z allows us to walk through the 26 major events in the life of Christ in alphabetical order. And these are real events that happened in real places uh, with real people. So let's walk through the life of Christ uh, to this point, to letter J today. A1 stands for angels announce the supernormal pregnancy of Elizabeth with John the Baptist to the husband, Zacharias. Uh, and they're too old to have children, but they got pregnant the old fashioned way, supernormally. A2 is angelic announcement to Mary first that she's gonna supernaturally become pregnant, virgin conception. She goes out of town to visit her uh, relative Elizabeth, cause she's heard old, older lady Elizabeth's pregnant, and when she comes, when Mary comes back to Nazareth months later, she's showing And an angel tells Joseph, it's not what you think, it's okay, you can marry her, you can cleave to her, but don't become one flesh yet, wait until after the birth. So A stands for what? Angels announce. Angels announce the the pregnancies of John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus. B stands for birth in Bethlehem. The prophet Malachi in 700 B.C. told us that the Messiah, the, the Savior, would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Nothing significant had happened in Bethlehem for a thousand years since the days of David when Jesus was born. But even though his mom and dad, his uh, legal dad and his real biological mom was uh, conceived, they lived in Nazareth, way up in Galilee, uh, the Romans convened a convenient tax census and so they had to travel down to Bethlehem and it all worked out. B, birth in Bethlehem. C stands for carpentry career. The word Uh, Rick, in your Bible, says carpenter is tecton. It means a skilled worker in wood or stone. And that mosaic floor we saw in Sepphoris, just two miles north of Nazareth, is, is work Jesus could have done as a tecton, as a skilled worker in wood or stone. And from age 12 to about 30, when he begins his ministry, he's doing that. That's six times as much time as he's preaching. God works in mysterious ways, and that's not a joke. That's a fact. D and E really are the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. D stands for Dove Descends at the Baptism, or if you want to say it this way, Sydney, Dove Descends at the Duncan, so we get three D's in there. And E stands for Enemy Entices. So at the baptism of Jesus, the prophesied forerunner of the Messiah identifies, and Jesus identifies with his ministry, so they kind of pass the baton, and the voice of God the Father declares the perfect righteousness of Jesus. So we know as a tecton uh, for most of his adult life, all his adult life, uh, he's living a perfectly righteous life. He qualifies to be the Messiah. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then E, immediately after his righteousness is declared, what happens? He demonstrates his righteousness as he goes one-on-one with the spiritual enemy number one. The last Adam's in the wilderness. The first Adam was in a luscious garden, everything he needed, but one thing was on the don't list. Uh, Jesus uh, demonstrates his righteousness as enemy entices the temptations. F stands for first followers. After months in the desert of Judea, Jesus goes back to where John is baptizing and John starts funneling his disciples to Jesus as that's the Lamb of God. That's the guy baptized several months ago. And we see the first followers, F, John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel. G, all those guys are from northern part of Israel, Galilee, and they're down with John the Baptist for a couple of weeks just to kind of find out what he's saying about the Messiah. They find the Messiah. They all go back to Galilee, and they're invited to a wedding feast, a wedding reception, and that's where Jesus does his first miracle. So let's call them great guests at the wedding. That's the G part. H is the grand opening of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus in uh, April of 30 AD goes to Jerusalem for the first Passover during his ministry, and he finds the religious system based on the Old Testament scriptures totally corrupt. You can use the scriptures and, and corrupt them just because somebody's quoting Bible verses. Who quotes Bible verses in addition to Jesus, when we're talking about enemy enticing. You know who quoted Bible verses to Jesus when Jesus was tempted? Satan did. Satan knows it backward and forward. So uh, the, the system is corrupt, and people are making big money with a big, bloated bureaucracy, and that's the, the way of the world, and the world tends to corrupt it. But house housecleaning, Jesus says, I don't accept this, this isn't legit. They say, you'd have to be the Messiah to do this. He says, basically, watch this. I'll do signs, but ultimately the sign is, destroy this temple, meaning his body, and in three days it'll be raised up. That's H, harsh house cleaning. I overlaps with H because we're still in Jerusalem at that first Passover, and we saw um, last week incredible interview where the most prestigious teacher in Old Testament Hebrew religion, Nicodemus, interacts with Jesus to try to find out what he's really thinking about himself. Does he really think he's Messiah? And what's his conception of what the Messiah is supposed to do? Overthrow the Romans, right? And make us the prominent nation in the world. That's what they're wanting, because then they can continue the business aspects of this and stay rich. And Jesus says, we're not going to debate that. What we're going to say is, unless you're born again, and he's saying to a guy who's as righteous as you can get based on religion, even based on the Old Testament law, wouldn't be understood. He says, nobody's so good, they don't need to be saved by faith in me. That's what we saw last week. And now this week, we're going to go right to the middle of uh, the nation of Israel, which actually, as you know, was uh, made up of the despised, I'm not suggesting this, but it's just a fact, the despised half-breed, half-Jewish, half-Gentile group called the Samaritans. And as we'll see, Jewish people didn't go through Samaria because they thought it had spiritual cooties. But Jesus is going to look at the woman at the well who's been married and divorced, and I'm quite sure she's divorced five times because she's been immoral, probably has multitudes of kids too. And now she's living with her boyfriend, and he tells her nobody's so bad. They can't be saved. So as we're going to emphasize, when you look at, in our system I, Incredible Interview, Jesus, and Nicodemus, J. Jive talking with the woman at the well and Jacob's well. You're looking at a two-week uh mini-series as part of this larger survey of the life of Christ. And John is not making this up, but he's emphasizing: look at the differences between these people. They couldn't be any more different. Nicodemus was well known. He was esteemed. Jesus calls him the teacher. Uh, somebody said. Here's the pitcher of Major League Baseball, who's the, uh, this is the uh, premier plumber in Duncan. You know, have you put the definite article there, he's well known. The woman at the well is so obscure, Ken, we don't even know her name. Now Actually, it was Nancy, but uh, no, I'm not sure what her name is. But you will meet this lady in heaven, I'm quite sure. Nicodemus was Jewish. She was a Samaritan. He's a Pharisee, the strictest sect, S-E-C-T, of first century Judaism as far as being obeying the rules. Uh, she's an outcast. She's uh, No uh, uh, organization would want her to be a member in Samaria, much less in Israel. Uh, he's wealthy back in those days. They had it right back then. The, relig- the religious leaders were all rich and famous, kind of like baseball players are now. Uh, she's poor. She doesn't have much money. He's living a, under the Old Testament law, but not quite sure he's good enough, and he wasn't. She's not under the Old Testament law. They've changed it. The Samaritans did in their system. He's religiously righteous as far as overt, jump through the hoops, do the rituals, cross the T's, dot the I kind of thing. He's clinging to his kind of ritual righteousness, and he's very righteous, humanly speaking. If you're great on a curve, he's going to beat just about every, everybody else humanly speaking. But God doesn't grade on a curve. He grades based on the cross. He grades on an absolute scale. All have sinned and come short of the standards of Dallas Theological Seminary. And that's not what it says. What does it say? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life by being a good Baptist kid. Now, through Jesus Christ our Lord, Right? God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died to pay your way into heaven, right? And then Romans 4, 5 says, but to the one who does not work, Romans 4, 5, man, you got to memorize this one. But to the one who does not work, Nicodemus is trying to work, the woman at the well thinks she's too bad to work, it's too late. But to the one who does not work, but who believes in him who justifies the ungodly. Nicodemus is just as ungodly as the woman at the well is compared to God, right? We don't see it that way, but God does. But to one who does not work, doesn't try to earn salvation, but who believes in Christ, the one who just was ungodly, that person's faith is reckoned as righteousness. Our sins imputed to Christ and judged on the cross. That applied to us when we believe, plus his righteousness is imputed to us as our permanent legal standing. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There's no just no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's very religiously righteous. She's religiously unrighteous by any standard, right? I don't think I think adultery is on the da- don't list of every major religion I've I've studied, right? Even even back in the early days of American history, when a lot of the movers and shakers did that kind of stuff, at least they were discreet, right? They didn't brag about it. Uh, he's greatly admired. She's despised even by the Samaritans. But what's the one thing these two very different people have in common? According to Jesus, they both need and can receive salvation through faith in him. And that's the only way it's going to work. Last week, Nicodemus, uh, that, uh, that passage tells us what Jesus teaches about salvation for moral, religiously orthodox people. You know what they need? They need salvation through faith, not by being religious and orthodox, right? Nobody's so good they don't need it. What we're going to emphasize in this passage, in contrast, is, as Jesus teaches about salvation for immoral, religiously unorthodox people, nobody's so bad. As Martha Ratliff used to say, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? It's wonderful, right? Okay, that's the way chapter 4 breaks down. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. A spiritually scandalous setting. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, the baton pass has been successful. Although, watch this. Although Jesus himself was not physically doing the baptizing, but his disciples, John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel at this point, if you have to be baptized to be saved, Jesus didn't save anybody, and he passed up the chance to do it. Isn't that interesting? Uh, a couple of verses before this, it says John was baptizing near Salim because there's a lot of water there. Uh, there are three mode, basic modes of baptism Christians have held to for 2,000 years. But I'm a, a firm uh, believer in baptism by immersion, Baptism doesn't save you any more than wearing a wedding ring makes you married. Am I still married to the same person? And we've been married for 45 years in a row. That's the hard part. But, you know, if I were to put this down to a group of golf club and somebody were to pick it up, clowning around or whatever, it wouldn't make them married to me, Debbie, or anybody else, right? So baptism is kind of like a wedding ring in that sense. It doesn't wash away your sins, but it's a picture of something it's a picture of your identification with Jesus on the cross, dying for your sins, burial, and resurrection. Resurrected. That's what the gospel is, 1 Corinthians fifteen, three and 4. So that's that's it. But it is interesting. It does say later, uh, late in chapter 3, and we're in chapter 4, that John was baptizing in a particular place in the Jordan because there's a lot of water there. You don't need a lot of water to sprinkle or pour. You need a lot of water to baptize somebody big like David Bearden, right? Uh did you get baptized as a little kid? Good. Okay. I, it's funny. I was just talking to somebody who, who uh, uh, as a lay minister who had to baptize a big old guy. And I said, yeah, you know, it's like the, the, sw- the swan swimming across the surface of the water. When you're baptizing a big person, you are working like mad to get them up, yeah. but hopefully nobody knows, you know, but so anyway, look at verse one through four. So, uh, the ministry is in full swing. Jesus is attracting people to himself, expressing faith, and as a token of that, the symbolism, uh, being baptized, but he's not physically baptizing anybody. He left Judea, the region around Jerusalem, and went back, was headed back to Galilee, the northern region, to continue the early phases of the ministry. And then verse 4 says, he had to pass this Samaria. He had to, out of moral compulsion and purpose driven reasons. He doesn't have to go to Samaria. There's several ways to get from uh, Judea back to Galilee without going to Samaria. We'll show you that. But the thing to notice, okay, Lloyd, is no religiously righteous Jew in this time period like Nicodemus would set foot in Samaria. They'd go around it. The religious leaders in Jerusalem taught the Samaritans as mixed Jewish Gentiles with a theologically flawed religious system and their own temple to compete with the real temple in Jerusalem, which, as we know, was corrupted by their current status quo. They believed Samaritans were outside of God's saving concern, and they also had spiritual cooties, and if you went through Samaria and interact with those dirty Samaritans and fill in the blank for whatever ethnic or group you want to put, you know, um, uh, it's going to give you spiritual cooties. And Jesus didn't seem to be impressed by that kind of theology. Okay, uh this is our basic map without the letters, right? So uh Judea is the region here, it includes Jerusalem and Bethlehem, Galilee is the region up there. For some reason we don't have Galilee, but yeah, that's the region, those are the cities. Jesus is here, he wants to go back in this area here, and it says in verse 4, he had to go through Samaria, which makes sense to us because you know the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. But because people in Jerusalem said you're going to get spiritual cooties, Jewish people, if you go uh, to Nazareth, say, through Samaria. They would go that way or that way. You, you take your pick. You can go, get there either way and not have to interact with Samaritans. Jesus went that way on purpose, knowing this would broke the rules, not of God but of the picky religious system. They added uh, a bunch of picky stuff. That doesn't really mean anything. Uh, and that the religious leaders could and would use this against him. But, you know, there's a principle there. Just because somebody's going to be mad if you do the right thing isn't a reason not to do the right thing. It may uh, quantify or qualify when and how you do it. But, you know, we had these eight things we learned a couple weeks ago. Uh, eight things Jesus wants you to do on the job. Show up. Show up on time. Show up on time ready to do the job. That kind of thing. And we said at the end, don't be surprised if your coworkers will notice that and resent you because they think you're showing them up or trying to polish the apple and make points with the boss. But that's not a good enough reason to be sloppy and stupid at work. You know, you do the right thing, the right way. But uh, just because somebody's going to get mad, I, I grew up with three younger sisters, and there was nothing I could do that would not make them mad. So I figured out real quick. Uh, I was going to do what I wanted to do anyway, so I might as well just do it and I'd be surprised when they got mad at me. Okay, look at verses 5 through 26. Salvation offered to a Samaritan. That would have been so offensive to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. How dare you see them as worthy of a, a salvation offer? I mean, they're, they're the dirty Samaritans. They're outside of God's scope of salvation. 5 through 15, the living word, Jesus and a merely existing, you know, can you, are you living or merely existing? We've got the living word, the creator in human form interacting with this woman that's so far off the scale. She's despised by the Samaritans. The Samaritans are despised by the Jews. She's despised, uh, despised by the Samaritans. So it came to a city right in the middle of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus being wearied in his humanity, one person, two natures, his human body got tired, got hungry, got sleepy. He's tired. They've been traveling from 6 a.m. to noon. It's a six hour walk. Um, and they're not but halfway to their objective. From the journey was sitting thus by the well. is about the sixth hour. If he's using Jewish reckoning here, that's noon. I think he's using that here. There's some debate about that. Uh, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. You might say, what's the big deal about that? Nobody in the ancient Near East went to the well at noon. You go to the well early in the morning before it gets really hot, and shortly before dark, shortly before dinner, which is usually around dark because the men, folk, and others had to work till dark. Right? Uh, she's going at noon when nobody from the city would be there. You know why? Because she's tired. She's offensive to the people. She's openly immoral. She's scandalous. She's a nasty woman. And uh, the, the other women would going to be catty and say nasty, th- mean things to her. And mean girls do the mean girl thing to her. So she's going to the well when she assumes nobody from town is going to be there. And she's certainly not expecting Jewish people to be there. Why would she not expect Jewish people to be at the well in Samaria? They don't go to Samaria. They don't have dealings with Samaria. So she walks up. Jesus is sitting by the well. Right? Right? Um, and Jesus not only, uh, is there, He actually speaks to her, uh, as if she's a person. Have you ever had people treat you like a non-entity? Uh, like you don't exist? I mean, you do this in high school, you know, when you're, when you're a golfer, not a football player. None of the cute girls except for Debbie Walker in my case, you know, even know, knew who I was, you know. I mean, I was captain of the team, man. Uh, I was all district, you know. But uh, they don't notice you. But, uh, yeah, in our textbook, there's uh, three levels of affirmation, acknowledgement, uh, recognition, uh, acknowledgement, and endorsement. It's three levels of affirmation, I should say. Uh, recognition where you, you know, when I walk in and out of the Simmons Center every day, and we're in Oklahoma, not New York City. If I pass somebody in the way in, I just kind of nod at them because you're a fellow. Duck and night, whether I know you or not, whether you can do anything for me or not, I'd have enough respect for you just to notice you're there. Recognize you. Acknowledgements, a little bit more. Endorsement doesn't mean you agree with everything they say, but you're endorsing them as a person. Jesus is doing all three of those. He's recognizing, acknowledging, endorsing her as a person. And he says, give me a drink because I'm thirsty. In his humanity, he can be thirsty. But his disciples aren't there because they went into the city to buy food. Now what you don't know is it took him like an hour to talk them into doing that. We're gonna, we're not only gonna walk through Samaria, we're gonna buy their food at their sea store. We're gonna eat Samaritan food. Do you know it has cooties? Are you crazy? He says, I'm bringing new wine, baby. We're, We're bringing the whole thing here. Now you've been on spirituality and training wheels. This is the real deal now. Therefore the woman, a Samaritan woman said to him, Wow, how is it that you being a Jew are even sitting here and you're talking to me with respect and you, you're wanting me to do a favor for you, which in the Middle Ancient Near East was, was affirming your worth and value. You ask me for a drink, says I'm a Samaritan woman. And then John, who's writing this under inspiration, says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So this is way, boy, this would be religiously scandalous to the religious leaders. This is just worse than anything. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God, he's talking about eternal life. That's what she needs. She's not so bad she can't have it, but she desperately needs it. And who it is who says to you, I'm the giver of eternal life, so I can give it to you. Give me a drink. Um, he's going beyond the surface here. You would have asked him in faith, asking in faith, after receptive, trust, the and, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, and she's totally thinking physical water. And we saw this last week when Nicodemus, the old guy who's trying to earn his salvation by his good works, but he's not quite sure he's good because nobody can be. Salvation by works gives you eternal insecurity because you never know where God draws the line. You never know if you're quite good enough on the curve to earn salvation. So you never know. You die and you, you hope it works out. So he tells Nicodemus, you got to be born again. And he Nicodemus thinks physical birth. And he says, no, I'm talking about a spiritual birth, man. It's not... You being a good person, it's you receiving salvation as a gift through me. Now he says, give me a drink, meaning physical water, but she's surprised he would say that. Well, I got something much better for you than physical water for both of us. I've got spiritual life I can give you, eternal life, living water. And all she hears is water and there's a well and you don't even have a, have a bucket, you know? She said, sir, uh, you have nothing to draw with and the well's deep. Uh, where then? Do you want me to get this living water for you? You're not greater than our father Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Actually, he is before Abraham was I am, right? Um, Are you? You're not greater than he is who gave us this well and drank of it, fed his, uh, watered his sons and his cattle. And watch this. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, H2O, you can diagram it, you know, chemically, is going to thirst again. You're going to have to get more later. But whoever drinks of the water, the eternal life I give him, you get it, and it's everlasting, right? Uh, we'll never thirst again. But the water I will give him will become in him or her a well of water, springing up inter- inter- into eternal life. Slow down, I'm getting too excited. Woman said to, her, to him, "Sir, give me this water, so I won't have to come out this well every day at noon. It's work, you yeah? know." And he said to her, "She's totally missing it. She needs to see her need, because if you don't realize you're a sinner, you don't need a savior." Uh, now, you know, and again, she knows she's a sinner deep down. She They rationalize it, right? Uh, they don't even blush anymore. But, um, you know, he's just establishing the fact, I know exactly who you are. I know why you're here at noon, because you won't, nobody, no respectable Samaritan will interact with you because you've been so immoral. So he says, go call your husband and come back. And what does she say? After she gulps, oh my gosh, he must have saw my Twitter feed, Right? <laughs> The woman answered and said, I have no husband. I'm not, I'm single and available. She probably winked, right? I mean, really, that's the type of person this is. Jesus said to her, uh, you're right. You don't have any husband. You've had five of them. And again, the text doesn't say this, but I don't think she was the innocent victim. You know what? Uh, one person can total a marriage and scripture from Deuteronomy through Matthew, first Corinthians, acknowledges they can be legitimate reasons for divorce right and that doesn't make you a stained person for the rest of your life but uh there's some kind of dysfunction when marriages break down and i'm quite sure and we'll talk to her in heaven sonia in fact let's just, just let's just do that okay something to look forward to we will talk to this woman in heaven together so find me okay i'll be on the backside of jupiter you know that day but uh yeah uh Yeah, you've had five husbands, and the reason you've gone through them is because you've had boyfriends on the side. And the guy you're with now isn't your husband. You're just living with some guy. He won't be there very long. You said, truly, you're not married. I got that. And she says, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Whoa. You know, he got her attention on that. And then she tries, I think, and she probably got some sincere question here, but I think she's trying to change the subject, just like Nicodemus didn't want to get into the subject. So Jesus stopped him after two verses and said, you've got to be born again. Uh, let's just talk theology here. This is way too convicting, talking about my sex life here. Um, our fathers worshipped, ascribed to worship to God, in this mountain, Mount Gerizim. You can see it from Sychar. And you people, you people, right? Sounds like... Uh, uh, who is the business tycoon, the computer guy who ran against George uh, Bush? Yeah, Ross Perot sounds like Ross Perot, you people you people you 're supposed to say that nowadays, right? Uh, say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship, and she 's right there. they ought to worship in Jerusalem, but what do we know about the worship in Jerusalem right now, Doug, based on chapter two it 's all corrupt. They're in the right place, but they're still they're doing it the wrong way. So just the place isn't as important as how and why, right? And Jesus said, woman, believe me, don't worry about that. Now is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Uh, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvations of the Jews. What does that mean? Salvations of the Jews? It means that the Jews are the line through Jesus came. Jewish was not a Caucasian. He was a Jewish, and he looked like an average Jewish person because Isaiah in the prophecy says he's got no appearance that would be attracted to him. He wasn't particularly tall, short, heavy, thin, especially handsome. He just looked like an average person, and he's saying salvation is of the Jews. So why are so many Christians uh, anti-Semitic? I have no idea. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. But now is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers, whether they're in Samaria or Judea, Sychar, or Jerusalem, will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Um, the woman said to Him, I know Messiah is coming. Uh, he's called the Christ. When He comes, He'll declare all things to us. Jesus said, I who speak to you are, am He. Now, Wednesday night, on the Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus... We talk, he talked about, uh, Nabil uh, talked about the uh, deity of Christ and pointed out there's no verse in the Bible where Jesus says, I am God, but he affirms it in a lot of different ways. Uh, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, the word was with God the Father, the word was God himself. I and the Father are one and the same in essence, not the same person, but uh, co-equal, co-eternal. Um, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. There's a lot of places that affirm that. But here he's affirming he's the Messiah. And when you understand what the Messiah's going to do, he's got to be the God-man. So in effect, he's affirming not just his Messiahship, his Saviorhood, but his deity. Uh, at this point, his disciples came. Where'd they been? they have been at the grocery store. In There's only one. Yeah. It was a super Walmart, though. That's a good thing. So they had, So they were standing in line for at least 30 minutes, James. You know that, right? Just checking out. Disciples came, and they were amazed that he was speaking with a woman, right? In that context. Yet no one said, what are you doing? Or get lost, you know? Why are you doing this? I mean, it's bad enough we're in Samaria buying, eating Samaritan food. Now are you talking to a woman? Oh, my goodness. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, and this sounds hedged, But it implies a yes answer in the original Greek. And I think she's hedging and qualifying her confession here because of her reputation. She's not necessarily the best source for theological information. She realizes that. She's got a reputation, a well-deserved bad reputation. She goes into town, leaves her pot there, water pot, and says, I want you guys to come out and see a a man who told me all things I've done. He knows my whole life history. Now, before you can become a mentor, you have to have a background check. <laughs> I, bought, I sweated mine out, but I, I made it, man. Uh, that was the most difficult part of the process. Back then, you had to go to the to the belly of the jail. Uh, you know it was interesting. I think it's, it' made it easier now, but she 's basically saying he did a back, background check on me. He knows everything about me, and so they came out of the city and were coming to him meanwhile. Um, let me stop there. I'm going too far. I want to stop at 26 anyway. Look, look at the heart of this passage. And uh that's my Bible. And a long time ago, I put a heart around that uh, passage there, verses 25, 26. Uh, this is just Jesus saying, I can give you living water. That's what you really need. You don't need uh, physical water. You need living water. And then you can kind of change your lifestyle around, isn't it? Fruit of salvation. So he goes immediately to that. But he uses the analogy, and she misunderstands it. She's still thinking physical water. And then she tries to get him off the track. Let's talk about you know the relationship between Samaritan theology and Jewish theology. And he says, don't worry about that. Um, Focus on who I am. And she says, I do know the Messiah is coming. He knows everything. And he says, I'm the Messiah. You're looking at him. Okay, right here in the middle of Samaria. And I'm sure she's thinking, what, you're going to get spiritual cooties. Wait till the religious leaders find out, right? So Jesus is clearly misunderstood throughout the Gospels, but the Gospel of John really emphasizes this. In chapter 2, he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And he's standing in front of the temple that's been renovated for six years and still got several more years to finish. We'll go to the Temple Mount next May. Lord willing, if the Mufti lets us on the Temple Mount, we'll get very close at any rate, but hopefully we'll be able to walk on the Temple Mount. But yeah, and what they when they heard Jesus say, destroy this temple, in chapter 2, did they understand him? They clearly misunderstood him. They thought he was talking about the physical building. He meant his body. Chapter 3, Jesus says you got to be born again. You need a spiritual birth. You can't earn salvation. doesn't work that way. Nicodemus thinks physical birth. He offers her living water. She's thinking physical water. So he makes it a point, as we've stressed here, uh, to say things that's going to force you to think it through. And if you do... If your heart wants to understand it, you will, and you'll really own it. And it's really, really, really important. Uh, she's got to recognize that she is uh, uh, th- that he knows where she's coming from. So he deals with her uh, marital history and her sex life and stuff like that uh, because she needs to know that. Uh, I mean, you know, there's no such thing as there's no such thing as secret sin. Maybe secret to everybody else, but and this is why mental attitude sins you know you can uh, you can go to church every time the doors are open, and if you are you know gossip and uh, you're implacable and you just can 't forgive people if they don 't smile at you the right way, going to church can be very hazardous to your health if you're full of mental attitude sins, and that 's where it all starts and God sees all that, um, but he wants her to know he knows where she 's coming from, and he still offers her salvation it 's not like he doesn't know how checkered her past is. And I think that's really important to emphasize. But I love these verses. Uh, Messiah's coming. He'll tell us everything. And he's basically saying, I just told you everything about your life. I am the Messiah. That's why I know all that good stuff. So you got to love this person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, let's see what the Gospel of John says about receiving living water or receiving the new birth. Go back to chapter 1. This is the book that emphasizes the grace mechanism of salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are more discipleship manuals for believers, emphasizing the example of Jesus so as believers we can submit to his lordship and embrace his lifestyle and his priorities. But John 1, in the beginning was the Word, title for Jesus. Word was with God before the beginning and the Word was deity himself. He's in the beginning with God the Father. He was the active agent of creation. He's also the active agent of re-creation, right? In him was life, that's zoe, not bios, spiritual life, not biological life. And the life with the light of men, that's a title for Jesus. The light, Jesus, shines in the darkness. The darkness did not grasp it, either understand it by and large, or destroy him because he was resurrected after the bad guys crucified him. Uh, look at this, verse 10. he, Jesus, the creator, the sustainer, the consummator, was in the world. He was born in in Bethlehem, and the world had been made through him, but the world, by and large, the vast majority didn't know him then or now, came to his own, the Jews, salvations of the Jews, and by and large, many individual exceptions, John, Andrew, Peter, Philip, and Nathaniel come to mind, and those were his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, even the Samaritan woman, as bad as she was, even Nicodemus, as good as he was, to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe. all means active, receptive trust, not just mental attitude, mental assent to facts. Uh, who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Look at uh, chapter three. This should be familiar. Moses lifted up the serpent in Numbers twenty-one to heal the snake bites. Even so, the Son of Man will be lifted up on the cross. That whoever believes will have everlasting life. For God the Father, the author of the plan, so loved the world full of sinful people like the Samaritan woman and religiously righteous but unsaved people like Nicodemus that he gave his only son, Jesus, the active agent of salvation, that everyone who believes, that all the ones who believe, what the Greek text says, that all the ones who believe shall not perish like a fire in the future but have everlasting life right now as a present abiding possession. For God didn't send his son in the world to judge the world. We already stood condemned, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, the whole spectrum of humanity, so that the world might be saved through him. Go to chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures, you religious hypocrites that think you're good enough based on your wooden interpretation of the Old Testament law to earn your way to salvation. The Samaritans are not qualified. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. In your interpretation and your attempt to obey them, like you can earn it. But these testify about me. But you're unwilling to come to me, to receive me, to drink the living water, to believe in me. uh, That you might have life. Look at 46, verse 46. If you believed Moses, really believed what Moses was teaching, that the law wasn't a ladder, but it was a mirror that showed you needed salvation, you'd believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, you distort them. Of course you're going to reject what I'm saying. No big surprise there. He, his feelings weren't hurt. He wasn't surprised at the depravity of man. Look at chapter 6, verse 28. Therefore they said to him, What should we do that we do the works of God? And that means acts, not meritorious works. Jesus answered, Here's what you got to do. Believe in him whom God sent. Believe in me, in other words as the Savior. Look at verse 39 and 40. This was our call to worship. I love this. Jesus says, This is the will of Him who sent me. God the Father is the sender. Jesus is the sendee. Right? That of all that He's given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. Let me get more specific. This is the will of my Father, that Julie Demerson, okay, that Doug Strange, that Ken Wanzer, and more... That Brad McCoy, who beholds the Son and believes in Him, will have everlasting life, and I myself—is that any good? We'll raise him up on the last day. Why don't why don't people read that more often? You know, <laughs> lighten your load, man. Look at verse twenty-one of chapter eight. Chapter eight, verse twenty-one. Then he said to them, "This is the light of the world." Discourse. Uh, I'm going away, and you'll seek me and will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jewish leaders were saying, he's not going to kill himself, is he? He's going to go away we can't come. And Jesus says to them, he's talking about the most religiously righteous people probably on the planet at that point. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world, man. That's, Islam comes from that uh, idea. Mormonism comes from that idea. They teach different things, but it's all about salvation by good works. I'm not of this world. Therefore, I say to you, you will die in your sins. For unless, and you're not going to do this, you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Go to chapter 8, verse 30. He's talking in Jerusalem. The vast majority of the people listening are rejecting his message, but a few do get it. Verse 30, as he spoke these things, many came to believe him. Many, a good many, not more than 50%, but not two or three. 10 or 15, 20 or 25 out of several hundred probably. many uh, came to believe in him. And then Jesus said to the new believers, if you continue in my word, then you're going to be disciples in the fullest sense. And you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. That's why we teach the word here, right? So you can grow and you have a choice every time you're in or under it. Are you going to, uh, embrace it? Or are you going to just kind of, uh, kind of do uh, lip service with it? Look at chapter 9, verse 40. Preaching to myself there. Chapter 9, verse 40. Those are the Pharisees who were with them, heard these things and said, We're not blind too, are we? He's not saying we're blind. We all know we're the most righteous sect of Judaism. Jesus said, if you had been blind, if you had recognized your inability to see, your sin and your need, if you're not a sinner, you don't need salvation. They didn't think they were sinners. You would have no sin. You would have believed in me. But since you say, we see, we don't haven't need anybody to give us sight or life. We can earn our own way. Your sin remains. Well, that's one of the worst things you can do, actually. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs out uh, climbs out some other way is a thief and a robber. Drop down to verse 25. I told you, and you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name, they testify of me. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. Uh, I know them. they follow me. I give everlasting life to them. They'll never perish like a fire. No condemnation. No one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. My Father is greater than all is given them uh, to me. No one's ever to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That's him claiming to be God again. So what happens? Verse 31. They pick up stones to stone him again. They did it back in chapter 8. When he claimed to be God. So he does claim to be God multiple times. But slightly differently than we might expect. Because if he just said I am God. Caesar said he was God too. They just think he's claiming to be God. With a little g like the Roman emperor. So that's one reason he doesn't say it that way. Look at chapter 11 verse 24. I read this at almost every funeral service I do now. Because I have came to the conclusion. What could be better than this? Jesus said your brother will rise again. Martha said I know that. But I want him now, you know. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the basis for a blessed resurrection and eternal life. He who believes in me, he or she, will live even after he dies. You know? Take that to the bank. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never really die. Do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Lamb of God. You're going to take care of the sin problem. I've trusted you to do that for me. The Son of God, that's a title for deity. Uh, even he who comes into the world. Look at chapter 20. And we're actually almost done. I know you're thinking at this rate, we're going to be here for three hours. That was the baseball game. The baseball game lasted, went uh, what? Uh, 11 innings. And toward the end there, we were just praying that somebody would win. You know I mean? We gave up rooting for the Dodgers. And it is kind of hard to root for the Dodgers as somebody who never was a Dodger fan uh, at the big league level. Yeah, chapter 20, this is the, verse 30 and 31, this is the purpose statement for the whole book before the epilogue of chapter 21 finishes the book. Therefore, many other signs, I'm just telling you about seven major signs in the resurrection of the gospel of John, Jesus performed in the presence of disciples, which are not written in this book. I'm not trying to be comprehensive here. This is not an analytical 21st century biography. But these are written that you might do something. What? Go to church, go to synagogue, try harder, quit smoking. No, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the issue of eternal life. Son of God, believing you have life in His name. Go back to chapter 4. Let's look at some spiritual lessons for slow disciples here. Look at verse 27. Uh, You know, they're shocked he's talking to this gal at all. And they don't even know how bad she is yet, right? (laughs) Uh, I can't find my spot here. Where am I? Yes, yeah, disciples come back. They're amazed. He's talking. She's left her water pot, you know. She's going home with living water, but she's left her water pot. And again, I know in the English it sounds like she's hedging her bets. Come see a guy who might be the Christ, might be somebody worth listening to. She's, she's affirming. This isn't the Christ, is it? And I, it is, but I don't want to be too dogmatic because based on my reputation, uh, it might turn you off. So they come out of the city, Meanwhile, his disciples are urging him, Rabbi, eat. You know, we started at 6 a.m. It's noon. You haven't eaten anything all day. Um, my wife was doing that after the baseball game. She was urging me to eat. I didn't have time to eat yesterday. So uh, sometimes I go a little wacky driving at 80 miles an hour. I mean, 75 uh, on the interstate. But it all worked out. Sometimes you have so much fun, you don't have time to eat, right? And he said, I have food to eat you don't know about. Now watch this. He's about to be clearly misunderstood again. He, he, they're thinking, he packed a lunch and didn't tell us. He had RX bars and didn't share. That's what they're thinking. This is the way these people think, man. Uh, they treat preachers like that too, by the way, sometimes. Uh, so the disciples sing one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did they? I mean, has he been hoarding food again? You know, like he ever did. Jesus said to them, my food, what really satisfies me and keeps me going is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Uh, Do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, they're white for harvest. You hear about fields white for harvest? That's where Jesus said that. There's a lot to do. You can be fulfilled as you plug into the Great Commission. You don't have to be a full-time pastor, youth minister, or missionary to be involved in the Great Commission. You are, whether you want to or not, well or poorly. Already, he who reaps is gathering wages and gathering fruit for life eternal so that he sows and he who reaps may rejoice together for in this case the saying is true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have not entered into their labor. You know, uh, evangelism is a process, not a point act, and the person actually sits down and, and works somebody through where they make a decision, and you can see it. Uh, that's just person jumping on the goal line. Uh, lots of people had influence. And, you know, I have a very long-term uh, perspective on ministry. I know God looks at TBF. And then just see who's here today or everybody who, who's associated with the church, but all the people like Jamie and Jonathan, people like that, and uh, Corey, you know, and uh, Franny, right, that are far flung, but probably learned some stuff here and from their parents that they're carrying out. And so, you know, there's, God sees all that as the function of the church, not just how many people show up on a given day or what, what the budget is and stuff like that. Now watch this. Look at verse 39. Yeah. Salvation, surprisingly, from the Jewish religious point of view, I mean. You've already probably read this story, so you're not surprised that much, right? Uh, But Look at verse um, 39. So she's gone in and told them, and he's talking to the disciples, and it says, from that city, many, a good many, not just two or three, believed in him because of the word of the woman. And after she said, hey, come check him out, she told him the full story, and people are believing he's the Messiah. They're believing he's the Lamb of God. They're being saved in place without having to go to Jerusalem and submit to rituals. Uh, just based on her testimony. So when the Samaritans there who lived in Sychar came to Jesus, they are asking him to stay. And he stayed there two whole days. And then it says, many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said, it's because we've seen him with our own eyes and we know he's the savior of the world, right? Um, that's, the, that's the secret message of the four gospels. The Jewish Messiah is the savior of the world. And nobody's so bad they can't have salvation. Even a Samaritan woman who's blown five marriages due to immorality. And again, I know she doesn't say that, but trust me, that's what happened. I'm quite sure of that. Uh, it's not unique with me to assume that. Otherwise, there'd be other things being discussed probably right there, right? But the Jewish Messiah is the Savior of the world. I know we're used to that. But listen, God isn't an American. And he's not even a Republican. And I love the United States. I believe red, white, and blue, man. I'm very patriotic. And I, I do think we're exceptional. And I do think we were great. And I think we're great now. Hopefully getting greater all the time, right? Um, but God's not an American. And he's not white. And... He transcends your college education, you know. (laughs) He's not impressed by my PhD, I don't think. Um, But yeah, we've got real evangelism taking place because they're interacting with Jesus. And you see the contrast between your average village in Galilee and this little city of Sychar, you know. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, somebody needs to write a song. Oh, little town of Sychar. Hey, Blanche, there's your chance. Nobody's written one that I know of. Okay, let's conclude Again, we started with the differences between these people, and they're obvious. I didn't put male, female. That's that's obvious. It goes much beyond that, you know. He's very religiously righteous. She's openly immoral. And yet, Jesus using different metaphors. It made sense to talk to this old guy who knows he's near the end, near his death. He's probably in his seventies or eighties, or uh, he's much older than sixty-five for sure. But uh, I just say that because I am sixty-five. And, you know, he's been dedicated to the fact he's going to earn his way into heaven, but he's not sure he's good enough. How could he be? He says he's got to be born again. That's the metaphor he uses. She's needing physical water. He says, I'll give you water. You won't ever go back and get it. You'll get it once. You'll have it forever. So uh, one thing that they, these two very peop- different people have in common is Jesus says they can receive salvation. They can receive everlasting life through faith in him. Uh, saving faith is not mental assent. It involves full consent of the will. It's active receptive trust. But, you know, if your theology doesn't, uh, doesn't permit the salvation of the terrorist on the cross next to Jesus, you probably better tweak your theology a little bit. Saving faith is not you giving something to God. This is not let's make a deal. I'll give you my life, you give me eternal life. That's, that's, that'd be a whale of a good deal, but that's not grace. Grace is unmerited favor. All this good stuff that comes out of your Christian life is the effect. It's the fruit. It's not. It's not front loaded. And I know it's very popular to front load it because we want you to do all these great things: be baptized, going to a prayer meeting, all this stuff. I want you to do all that stuff, but that's not part of the terms of salvation. What did the, the terrorist on the cross say to Jesus? He didn't even say "Lord." He said, "Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom." Right, Rick? That's all the guy said. He's basically saying, "I am a sinner." That's obvious. I can't fix it, but I believe you can and I want you to. You know, the, I think the great illustration of saving faith is the leper that comes to Jesus says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he says, I'm willing, you're clean. And later Jesus talks about his faith. You know, that's active, receptive trust. That's, it's, but to the one who doesn't work, but who believes in him and justifies the ungodly, who's not working to earn it. You know, she, she realizes she can't earn it. Nicodemus is a guy who thought he could earn it, but, Jesus pulled a plug on that. So, um, yeah, both these people are prime candidates for uh, salvation. I think you're going to see them both in heaven. But let me uh, take this to heart as we do stop this time. Uh, It's interesting, and I'll buzz through that review there. You can read that later. Um, I know Angel knows this. Hinduism has, based on previous lives and the good or bad karma you've generated based on being a good Hindu, based on your your uh, dharma, the duty you owe to your caste. Hinduism breaks humanity into four groups of people, four castes, but it breaks each caste into hundreds of subcategories called jatis. Now, there's actually a fifth category of humanity Below the fourth caste, and it is so low as far as spiritual equity, karmic value, that they don't even believe, belong in a caste. They're called the outcasts or the untouchables. Now Gandhi called them the children of God. He had a little bit more grace than the Hindu theology did, but Hinduism puts people into these castes, and below the four castes are the outcasts. Judaism in Jesus' day saw people like Samaritans and also Jewish people that they would refer to as tax collectors and sinners, which was a technical term for irreligious based on their cootie system of spirituality uh, status. The Jewish leaders believed that people like the Samaritans and Jewish sinners, not religiously righteous people, were spiritual outcasts outside of God's scope of salvation. Yet Jesus not only Goes right through the middle of Samaria, filled with all these outcasts, but he offers the woman at the well just straight up, within five seconds, eternal life if she'd ask for it. You know, this would have to be of grace. It wouldn't be based on her commitment or the fruit of her salvation. It would be based on an ungodly person receiving this free gift. So while our human best isn't good enough for salvation, Nicodemus. Nobody is so bad, woman at the well. God can't save them. And as many people have said, the ground around the cross is perfectly level. You know, transcends color, culture, country, morality, woman at the well, religiosity, Nicodemus. So I would just say, and I've thought of a few people this week. Who are the Samaritans in your world? Who people you think are beyond the pale? Maybe they hurt you or hurt your family or did something horrible. Uh, who in your world, your family, friends, neighbors, acquaintances, is so bad, and maybe because they are so bad toward you, and you probably forgot what they did to make you mad at them, but you know, just know they're no darn good, you know, Uh that you basically stop praying for them to come to Christ, or you think they're beyond the pale. I don't give up on anybody until they're gone, you know. And uh I've been praying for Paul McCartney for 50 years, man. And I think he's closer to the kingdom than ever before. But, you know, he's 11 years older than I am, so he didn't have much time left. Pray for Paul McCartney, okay? Um, pray for Donald Trump. You know, I, I don't know where he's coming from spiritually. Um, I'm not sure he's born again. Maybe he is. I don't know him personally, you know? Uh, listen, he can call me anytime he wants to. I'll fly up there and talk to him. I'll straighten him out real quick, you know? But, uh yeah, there may be somebody in your life uh, that's hurt you or mistreated you God's not asking you to uh, endorse sinful malicious activity toward you but don't let anybody be out of your um, prayer window when it comes to thinking about salvation Jesus would offer this woman straight up living water he's got a heart even for the worst of sinners and we ought to be uh, praying and doing what we can you know in our interactions with folks to help them see that okay let's have a word of prayer Father, please take this portion of your word and transform it in the hearts of believers from information to truth so that rather than just being informed, we'll have transformation happening in our categories and our priorities. And I pray for anyone here this morning who's not in the depth of their heart like this Samaritan woman, seen their sin and their inability and has stopped rationalizing it and redefining it and has turned to Jesus as the only solution for their major issue, separation from you based on their nature and their personal sin and open their hearts to see and put their active, receptive, trust, childlike faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray you'd be glorified in the process of us receiving this truth and now applying it and living it out. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.